there are certain cities or towns that have a particular reputation. And just even if you've been there and or you maybe even have heard about it, you just think, all right, that town is known for this. Uh, for instance, recently I traveled for a meeting to Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I had passed through Nashville, but it was kind of the first time I'd ever gone and really didn't get to do anything fun. But anyhow, uh, still, because of the music industry in Nashville, Tennessee, there is a certain vibe about that city. And I think it's known as Music City USA. Am I right on that? I don't know. So there's a certain vibe to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so that's what Nashville is known for, it's music. Um, we have a friend here today from Post, Texas. Um, my previous church, and even though it's been two decades ago, um, when you say post-Texas and you say, well, what is post known for? You go back over a hundred years ago and you go, C.W. Post of Post Serial came from Battle Creek, Michigan to do a planned city. Uh, I mean, with streets, everything's parallel, Jana. I mean, Main Street that we lived on, Brother Ted, was as wide as our church lot. It was but that's the way C.W. Post wanted. He came there supposedly to go grow grain for his cereals and it would be shipped back to Battle Creek, Michigan. Well, that didn't work out real well. But anyhow, still, it is what Post Texas is known for. If I was driving the other day uh, through Kilgore, and you see the old derricks when you go through Kilgore because it's an, it's an oil boom town. When you think of Kilgore, it was that event of the oil boom. I don't even know, when, maybe the 1920s. I don't really know when that was. Uh, Kilgore is known. If we kind of move closer, uh, you would think of Nacogdoches is probably marked by SFA. Nacogdoches is a college town and uh, if you move to Lufkin, you might, uh, you might think the paper mill. I know these are all days gone by. Uh, sorry to bring up a sore subject. But the paper mill, Lufkin Industries. Yeah, and you think, you know, Lufkin's maybe a little bit distinguished from Nacogdoches. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a more blue-collar town. I don't know how you would want to characterize it. but And even recently, we as a church has started looking at uh, Huntington, Texas. We had to think about, and we had this in one of our church meetings. What is, what is the vibe? What is the culture? What is the history of Huntington, Texas? And for us, as followers of Jesus Christ and a community of believers, what does what does it look like when the gospel impacts not Nashville, Tennessee? That's, that's not where we're at. Not post-Texas, not Kilgore, not Nacogdoches, not Lufkin. What does it look like when the gospel impacts Huntington, Texas with 
what it is and who we are as a church. Well, this morning we go back 2,000 years to one of the most distinct cities in the New Testament era. Uh, and it was a city that had a very specific reputation. And that was the city of Corinth in Greece. And in about 52 A.D. through about 56, 57 A.D. Uh, well, actually, Paul comes in about 56 A.D. The gospel comes to Corinth, Greece. And uh, there was a great need, not just for the gospel, but for Christ and the gospel to transform that city because here it is Corinth was known if in ancient times you would just say Corinth people would have thought immorality Corinth was known for its immorality now there were reasons for this and in fact if you take your resource sheet that we pass out at the end of the pews you can kind of see some of these ideas so you don't have to remember all of them. I mean, for the final exam is what I'm saying. So, you know, 2019, we are working our way from 30,000 feet, the Bible, about 51 messages of what is the one big story that God tells and uh, what are the big thoughts, what are the big people, characters, events that happen in the midst of that. And as we've come to November, we come to Paul and his writings and Paul is the most influential thinker, evangelist, church planter, theologian of the first century. And uh, he marks, his thinking marks what we do today in such an, an amazing way. Um, and his teaching in the, in the scriptures, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament are written by Paul. Um. Uh, so much of his thoughts and so in these five Sundays that we in our flyover of the Bible we come to Paul's writings whether they're to churches or individuals we go what are the major ideas and um, we looked at grace which was really his one big idea <laughs> obviously it comes from God in the book of Galatians and we looked at the second coming last Sunday in first and second Thessalonians and this morning we come to purity of life and it's not by chance that it comes from his writings to the Corinthians because if there was ever a people at church that needed to be called to purity it was the Corinthians um, Corinthian Corinth was known not only for its immorality, it was known for its wealth and all the excesses that wealth brings. Uh, Corinth was strategically situated, is, is presently even today, uh, situated on a very strategic strip of land. There is a, um, it's, it's a port city, but it sits at the mouth of an, of an isthmus, which I don't even know that I can say that, you know, as challenged I am. 
<clears throat> in my linguistic skills, isthmus. But there is a strip of land that's 10 miles long, but only four miles wide. Um, and um, so the ships would come into Corinth, and either their cargo, or if their vessels were small enough, would literally be carried over that four miles to get to the other side, and it would connect uh, the Adriatic Sea with the Aegean Sea, and it would keep the ships from having to go around the southern tip of Greece, which was quite treacherous. And so the ships would come in there, and so it became a bottleneck. And so there was all of these resources and wealth and all the excesses that came with that wealth that came to Corinth. Um, actually, Emperor Nero started a canal in Corinth uh, that was never completed, but Amy and I on this picture are standing on a bridge that goes over this canal that was constructed in 1893, and it allows the ships to pass through. Literally, it's two miles that way to the Adriatic Sea, or connects you to the Adriatic Sea, and you could stand on that bridge and you could look the other direction, and it's two miles the other direction uh, to the Aegean Sea, and so it's... Uh, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, but like I said, with the wealth came so many other things in excess to Corinth. And um, uh, it was also a center for pagan worship. And uh, Amy and I visited. I know it's been a while since I've shown pictures from the Holy Land, isn't it? but this is actually our, our little excursion into Greece. If we could show that other picture of what, what they call the Acro-Corinth or the high point of Corinth, uh, but this is actually, we were able to tour the ruins of the Agora, the marketplace in ancient uh, Corinth. And the ruins to the right are uh, the temple to Apollos. But up on the hill in ancient times, on that high point of the city, there was the temple of Epaphrodite. And, um, whoo! I'm glad we sent out the children this morning because I was raised in a different generation. And when I begin to talk about some of these things, um, yeah, I'm just telling you, uh, the things that were going on in Corinth, I'm going to have to glaze over this morning for my own uh, sense of uh, being a little bit prudish. Uh, but if you know anything about Greek mythology, the goddess Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so, in all my research, it said at the temple of Epaphrodite, there were a thousand what they called sacred prostitutes. I'm thinking, well, if ever there was an oxymoron, <laughs> sacred prostitute. But anyhow, <clears throat> that's just Daryl Smith's thinking. It's kind of hard for me to, to go, okay, any, whatever, but was involved in the worship there. And so, um, there was such gross immorality from our standards in Corinth that um, to there was a phrase a verb that was used to Corinthianize is the best way I could put it and it meant to practice sexual immorality it was like their city was so known for this sexual immorality that when they made the name of their city into a verbal form Corinthianize it meant to practice sexual immorality. Wow. So I need you this morning to get 
that sense of identity and the history and the character of the city of Corinth and then understand that the Apostle Paul brings the gospel to maybe the most notoriously uh, immoral city of his day. If you look on your sheet in the, in the timeline, it's in his third missionary journey. It's recorded in Luke's account of the early church in Acts 18, 1 through 17. The Apostle Paul doesn't just spend a couple months there. He spends a year and a half evangelizing, leading people to faith in Christ, establishing a church, establishing um, leadership within that church. And I think the thing about it was is that most of the people that came to faith in Corinth did not come from a Jewish background. If they had come from a Jewish background, they would have had a, a foundation of morality. But these people were, be, were being called from this excessively immoral culture into the church, into a relationship with Christ. They were, they were pagan people and of the most excessive way. And here was the problem. It wasn't that that was the world in which they lived in. Here's what happened. That world found its way into the church at Corinth. It was such an excessively immoral place that it just seemed to seep into the church. The church at Corinth, if you, if you just study Paul's 13 letters and some of those are written to individuals. But Paul, this is the only way I can describe it. The church of Corinth is the church of drama. I'm serious. There was always something going on. And this is before Facebook, people. I'm serious. And when you put together what Paul writes about in First and Second Corinthians, it's like, people, just stop the drama sometimes. Everything doesn't have to be a controversy. But... Man, you just read it, and they had questions, and there were things that Paul raised about disunity in the church and about marriage, whether they ought to marry. Uh, Paul talks about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Isn't it interesting? 1 Corinthians 13 is known as what? The love chapter. Isn't it interesting that in the culture that worshipped Epaphroditus, the goddess of love, Paul said, let me just set this straight once and for all. Agape love, God's kind of love is patient and kind. It's not all of those things that I'm supposed to have memorized right now to be able to spout out that I read at y'all's weddings, you know, and you're supposed to memorize too. But also questions about the resurrection and about Paul's leadership and so many things there was always questions there was controversy there was so much drama and so when a year ago I'm just sitting down and I'm going all right I've got I've got an allotment of four five sermons for what Paul taught in his epistles, his letters. What am I gonna, what am I gonna seize on? 
one of the things I think is most significant from Paul's writing is his call to purity. And if you had to pick any of his calls to purity, it was like, duh, it's going to have to come from Corinthians because these people were coming out of a culture of impurity. If you look on your sheet, you can see also chronologically in the way that Paul's letters are written. Uh, we come to about 56 AD in First and Second Corinthians after Paul has left. And so uh, sequentially, chronologically, we come today and uh, I want to talk about Paul's call to purity. <clears throat> I know some of y'all are praying that my voice would, I would lose my voice and we would get out early today. Uh, your prayers are going to be trumped by the preacher's prayers. It's not going to happen. I don't even care if I get down to a whisper today. We're going we're gonna to talk about what we came to talk about today. Um, but the call to purity is one of Paul's major themes in his letters. In fact, if you notice on your, your reference sheet, I, I pulled out some highlights from his writings. Because it's not just in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. It's in all of his writings. Uh, Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Uh, Romans 13, let us walk properly, not in uh, revelry and drunkenness. Something we'll read this morning. Flee sexual immorality. Ephesians, you shall no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Later in Ephesians, see then that you walk carefully or circumspectly. Uh, Colossians, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, your fleshly members. And then finally in 1 Thessalonians, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So it is a theme that traces its way through Paul's letters. But I want us to look specifically this morning at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 or some verses there. And we come to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And if you need a case in point of the wickedness of Corinth and how it had seeped into the church, notice what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality. In fact, that word sexual immorality is used throughout the scriptures and in the passages that we'll read. It is literally the Greek word porneia that we get pornography from, obviously. Porneia, this, it's one word, porneia, and it's, it's used throughout this. It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Hmm. I don't, think, I don't have any good explanation at that point. Just let that soak in, all right? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh. I don't have time this morning, but they're talk, he's, Paul's talking about excommunication. If that brother is going to live in blatant, visible sin, he is to be kicked out of the church. Deliver that one to Satan, to the world, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ, that he might come to repentance. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? When we, I don't know, the, the biblical word leaven is the word for yeast. And so you would take a little yeast and it would, it would grow and it would expand. Don't you know it just takes a little bit of yeast to permeate and saturate, you know, bread. He says, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now, leaven's connotation in the Old Testament took the people, the Jewish people, back to the Passover when they were to celebrate yearly the week of unleavened bread, and they would clear out their house of leaven, which was a symbol of sin. In fact, our practice of our tradition of spring cleaning comes from the Jewish tradition of them cleaning out every speck of leaven in their house the days leading up to the Passover and so this was the imagery that Paul was using get all of the leaven out otherwise it's going to it's going to grow and don't you know that Christ died as our Passover lamb he died for our sins and leaven is the symbol of sin verse 8 therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I want you to mark, if you believe in marking in your Bible, the word sincerity, because we're going to come back to it in verse 8. But can we pick up his teaching on the call to purity in the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 9? He says, Do you not know... And anytime Paul says that, he's going, really the answer to that question is, duh, yes, you know this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And the punchline for the Corinthians is, is, is in the next verse when Paul says, and such were some of you. Now, this is where it gets rather graphic, and I'm going to gloss over it today. But when I began to do my word studies on these terms for sexual perversion and sin, oh my yeah, let's just say fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites and leave it at that, okay? I don't need to go any further, but it, it runs the gamut of perversion in the sexual realm. Do you understand when Paul makes that list and he says to them, and such were some of you, Paul is detailing the way of life in Corinth. Do you understand? And he said, that's where you came for, from, 
quite honestly, he's saying that's what you were. That's the lifestyle that you people that have been called to faith in Christ have come from. And so he goes on and he says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. There was apparently this idea, whether it came from secular philosophy or whatever, that somehow the only thing that really mattered was your spirit inside of you. It didn't matter what you did with your body. And Paul says, nuh-uh. No, your body is for the Lord. And that's the train of thought that he continues. And God both raised up the Lord, his body, and will also raise us up, our body, by his power. Do you not know that your bodies members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, for the two, he says, will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then the statement, flee. And literally the Greek would say, porneia, sexual immorality whatever form you can imagine flee it all every sin that a man does is outside the body <clears throat> but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you God's Spirit dwells inside of you you are holy whom you have from God and you are not your own for you were bought at a price the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify, represent, reflect God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Whew. The sin of the world had crept into the culture of the church. And the church had tolerated it. And Paul brings it out into the sunlight. Remember the word in chapter 5, verse 8, the word sincerity. Literally that word means to be tested by the sunlight and can be translated purity. If I had to have a, a connection with my theme for the day, purity of life, it would go back to that word sincerity, tested by the sunlight. It, and literally, it's, it's a Greek word that has the word sun and to judge. And it referred to somebody maybe selling you something, and they're kind of like in this shadowy room going, yeah, just, yeah, here's uh, this, this, this vase. In fact, I, I bought a, we bought a vase in Greece, not an expensive one, Obviously, we couldn't afford that when I looked at the price tag, but a cheap one, and sure enough, it broke on the way home, and so it's, it's in my office if you want to go see it, and 
Brother Darrell has glued it back together, the little handle that fell off. And really, if you're sitting in my office across the room, you go, oh, what a beautiful vase. But if you were to take that vase outside and look at it, inspect it in the sunlight, you go, that's a pretty janky glue job, preacher. Uh, yeah, I don't know. In kindergarten, were you sick that day when they had glue skills? Uh, it looked like a, a child glued that back together. And I'll say thank you very much. Yes, I was sick that day. Um, you, under, you get it? To be tested by the sunlight? It's one thing to buy something in the shadows. It's another thing to, to take something out in the sunlight and to see it for what it really is. Do you understand what the Apostle Paul is doing with the Corinthians in the midst of their shadowy lives, even inside the church? Paul says, why don't we just bring this out into the sunlight and show it as it really is in the light of God's glory? Do you understand? In fact, the call to purity in our life 2,000 years later this morning is the same. For God to take whatever is in the shadowy parts of our life that maybe nobody else knows about, but it's certainly something we're not proud of and we hide. And God says, no, in the light of his word and his glory, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, why don't we just bring it out into the sunlight and see it for, it, for what it really is? That's purity. And that's the call today. How is it that the Corinthians could allow such gross immorality? There's several things I see in this, and I, I want to cover these quickly. I think in some respects they theologically or philosophically rationalize why this was okay. Because Paul talks about how they are puffed up, how they glory in it. Maybe they took the theological stance he even alludes to in 6.12 when he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or edifying. And maybe they took this theological stance and they, they took some of the words of Paul to say, we are no longer under the law, we're under grace, we're not bound by the Jewish Old Testament law, we've been free in the power of Jesus. And it's almost as if they could glory in and say, we are free to do all these things because Jesus' blood covers it all. Let me tell you today that any time you do something and the thought in your mind is, well, I know Jesus' blood will cover this. Brother and sister, you walk on shaky ground. But you see, we play those same games of theological or philosophical rationalization. Maybe they said, well, you know, the body doesn't matter. It's only the spirit that really matters. Christianity is more than mor morality. And what I mean by that, Christianity is not simply us being good and living up to a moral code. Yes, the great idea is grace. And so, yes, I would affirm today that Christianity is more than morality. But I would also say there is a morality in Christianity. There is a call to purity 
even though Jesus died for that and we are not bound by the ritualistic, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. I think there's also something, because he says in 6, 9, he says, and he says, do not be deceived. Somehow in their own minds, they were deceiving themselves. And many times in our life, the easiest person to fool is ourselves. And after the theological rationalization, we deceive ourselves. And, and maybe we, we say, well, you know, it's not really a big thing. I'm not hurting anyone else. In fact, nobody else may know about it. Or we may throw out the phrase, surely God understands my weakness or whatever. And I think Paul addresses that when he says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And even though we may say, oh, it's just a small part of my life and it doesn't matter, Paul says it's going to spread and it can be disastrous. I think the third thing is somehow they allowed it because they just tolerated it. They didn't do anything about it. They were passive. And I think that's why the, the, the call, he says in chapter 5, purge it out. Remove it. Remove the person that's involved in this sin. But if you have leaven in your own life, purge it out. I think that's when he also, in, in 618, when he says flee sexual immorality, I think it was one of those things they were just hanging out. They were allowing it. They were just tolerating it. They weren't run from it. And Paul says, you got to get away from it. That's the only time I'm going to be able to raise my voice today, all right? Flee! Maybe one more time. Sexual immorality, get away from it. Don't play around with it. Somehow, they had allowed this gross sexual immorality to step into the church. And what is his rationale to tell them, why do, I, why do we have to deal with it? I think the first thing he would say is that impurity spreads, so we must purge it out. That's the illustration of the leaven that will grow. And we say it's only one small area of our, our life. But let me assure you that it will lead to other areas of your life. And one small area will lead to the loss of control in your life that will permeate the whole. I remember the old story, an African story of a man who sold another man a house. And he said, I'm going to give you a very good deal. Maybe it's a hut. I don't know. Let's say a hut. <clears throat> He's going to sell him this hut. And he said, the only thing, he said, I'm going to give you a really good price for this. The only thing I want is one nail inside the hut that I retain control over. The man said, sure, that's not any problem. So the man moves in the house, pays him the price, moves in the house. And the man gets a dead animal. And he hangs the dead animal on that nail inside the hut. And that death and decay and all of that permeates the house. And eventually the man has to move out of the house. I don't know if it's a true story or not. I'm not saying I learned this in Africa. I just read it in a book. I just remember that. And it's like, wait a second, it's only one nail. And we say sometimes in our lives, it's only, it's only one little area. It's just a small thing, and people don't even really know about it. Maybe my spouse doesn't even know about it. But it's like leaven that will spread, and eventually it will lead to the loss of control in our lives. I think the second thing why do we deal with it is because impurity is about our past and not our future 
in 6.11 when he says, but such were some of you. That past tense denotes that is a part of your past. It is not about your future. This is not who God has called you to be in Christ Jesus. That's who you were. Impurity is about your past, not your future. I think the other thing that Paul would say, ultimately, and this comes from the last verse, 620, when he says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Here it is. Impurity does not reflect the glory of God. You see the problem in Corinth and quite honestly in our day? The problem is even us as followers of Jesus Christ, the danger would be that we would more reflect the world than we would reflect the glory of God. The glory of God is God's. You know the moon, even though we see it at night, the moon has no light of its own. The moon is only reflecting the glory of the sun. The sun has glory. And the same is true for us as Christians. Our lives are to reflect the glory of God. The glory is not ours. But our lives, once we have been bought, we are to reflect the glory of God and impurity in our life does not reflect the glory of God. And you know what happens? Then it affects our witness to the world. When there was so much drama in the church at Corinth, when there was immorality in the church at Corinth that the world didn't even condone in all of its gross immorality, there was no standing for power and witness because your lives did not reflect God. It reflected the world in which you live. And if we reflect the world in which we live, what is it that we have to offer the world? We have nothing because we are just a reflection of them. But if we reflect the glory of God, then we have something to offer the world. Immorality, impurity does not reflect the glory of God. It is not good for our witness to the world and ultimately empties our lives of the Christ power in our life. So this morning, to get down to 2019, as our lives this morning are brought into the sunlight, and I'll just tell you that my prayer today is that God would show us those areas of our life let, let me let you in on a little secret. I already know what's going on in your minds and hearts. I don't know specifically. There is something, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I have to believe that God has brought to your mind and heart. And all in the midst of this, you've been rolling it through in your brain. There's something. And I think the questions we have to ask ourselves well, here, here it is. 
You're going to have to decide this morning, what am I going to do with that? God's Spirit, His Scripture, has brought it out into the sunlight. What am I going to do with the impurity in my life? Now, you can rationalize it. You can deceive yourselves. You can do nothing about it. Here's some questions to ask as you kind of mull in your heart right now. Well, it's probably okay. I don't know that I really need to deal with it. Let me say, does the world think it's wrong? Let me just tell you, if the world thinks it's wrong, what is in your mind and heart, let me just tell you, it, it's wrong. If the world thinks it's wrong. Does the scripture say it's, it's wrong? Yeah. Well, let me just tell you, that means it's wrong. Ask the question, am I justifying it just because it is a small thing? If you're having to justify it in your mind, it's wrong. Ask the question, is it building me and the church up? If the question is no, then it's wrong. The question is, is it drawing me closer to Christ? If it's not drawing you closer to Christ, then you can just bet on it, it's wrong. And then finally, does it glorify God? And if you cannot bring it into the sunlight and to say God gets glory from this, brother and sister, you can count on it. It's wrong. So what is it? What is it in your life that God's Spirit has brought out of the, out of the dark, shadowy parts of your life into the light? into the light today. The scripture says, if we don't do something about it, even that small area will spread and it will take over our lives and that impurity will destroy your witness and will drain your life of power. Paul's call to purity is that your life would reflect the glory of God and not the world's. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and Byron's going to come and lead us this morning. <clears throat> uh, this morning the altar is open for you to come. I'll be here also to receive you. If you need to commit your life to Christ, to commit your life to this church body, to take the step of obedience, to be baptized, uh, I'm here to receive you, but the altar is open for you uh, to allow God to cleanse that area of your life out.